Hello, Kansas Reflector listeners. I'm reporter Rachel Mipro, and I'm here today with State Representative Susan Ruiz, a Shawnee Democrat. We're going to discuss how legislation drafted by national hate groups have trickled their way into state law. Thank you for being here. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, so I think first, what I'm really curious about is you're one of the first openly gay lawmakers pretty much in the state, right? It's you and Woodard, and you were both elected around the same time. Yeah, 2018. 2018, yeah. So how, what's that been like for you? You know, it's, 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 it's had a lot more highs and it has lows, that's, that's for sure. Um, you know, it was, um, it was something to be able to be elected and as the first two openly uh, gay legislators in Kansas. And um, it, it comes with a lot of pressure because uh, it feels like uh, we have the LGBTQ community on, on our shoulders. And, um, you know, and of course we came in hoping that, that there would be a lot of good things that we could do. And, and uh, you know, we talked about our gay agenda, as, as many people want to say in a negative way, but our gay agenda really was about um, Medicaid expansion, and it was about fully funding our, our public schools, uh, and it was about funding our our universities. Uh, it's about innovative kind of um, uh, things we could do in our um, community colleges. Um, you know how what what could we do in order to better the lives of Kansans versus taking people's rights away, um, and and. In a part of the, that long list that that we had, you know, was to try to um, protect our rights as as citizens, LGBTQ uh, citizens uh, in the state of Kansas, and uh, we've not been able to accomplish that. A lot of our agenda items have not we have not been able to accomplish that. But what we met up with were people trying to take away our rights. And um, um, they've been successful in this past session. Um, they succeeded uh, the most. Um, but, you know, we are not going to go down without a fight, so to speak. You know, we are going to, to speak out and we'll continue to fight for all those things. I'm also a clinical social worker, so there are things that I want you know, that I know that that the majority of Kansans want. Uh, Medicaid expansion continues to be uh, my number one priority. Um, and uh, with uh, the... Um, the dis, you know the trying to to dismantle our our public school system um, in Kansas and and Kansas isn't the only one. Um, many many states across the the U S are all facing those kinds of attacks and 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 the trying to uh, bring in vouchers uh, that will again you know really will dismantle our our public school system. Um, those are all will continue to be uh, the things that we will fight for and. Um, yeah, you know, that's that's our gay agenda. <laughs> <laughs> and in the three years you've been in office, I mean, what's it been like? Have you been worried? Have you seen positive change over these years? You know, there I have seen some positive change. And, you know, I, I tend to try to want to be more positive than negative. Um, and positive change is, is that more and more um, legislators who are not Democrats, who are obviously would be more Republicans, um, have are more comfortable with talking about 
LGBTQ issues, you know, rights. Um, and so many have spoken to me, um, have apologized for their party for things that, that have happened, um, have told me, you know, I'm with you, but I can't, you know, because, you know, my party, our leadership uh, won't, will put pressure, you know, on me. And the pressure for most Republicans means that somehow they're going to be taken off committees or they're going to uh, get primaried in, the, in an election. Um, and so that's, um, it's disheartening to hear that. Um, I would rather hear people say, I'm going to stand up to leadership, and um, and they're not. Um, I, I I understand, you know, the I, I understand both sides of this, uh, but it's really difficult. Uh, but I think we we are getting more, having more and more allies, even if they are closeted allies in one sense. Uh, um, and and I'm still hopeful that we can, you know, uh, at some point uh, be able to change things around. Um, you know, for the LGBTQ community, uh, but I've, um, and I, I just, I don't receive the same amount of publicity or even animosity that, uh, my colleague Brandon Woodard receives. He sees, he receives much more hateful things, not so much by legislators, although it has come through from some of them, uh, but you know, primarily on social media, and um, I don't, I don't get the same amount uh, of, of that kind of uh, nastiness, you know. Um, and it wasn't until I stood up uh, at one point uh, during the legislature. We'll be coming back to that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, that I started receiving a lot of. Uh, hateful stuff. Mm. Okay. And we'll come back to this in a bit, but the incident she's referring to is, this was right before the student-athlete ban, or was this SB 180? I think it was SB 180. I've almost blocked it out of yeah. my mind, but it, yeah. It was, it was SB 180, yes. Yeah, so things got heated there, but yeah. we'll go back to that in a minute. Um, in terms of apologies, was this during the recent session, or what were yes, they apologizing it for? it was during the recent session. Mm -hmm. And it was primarily because of, of how you know, I know we're going to go back to it, but it has to do with, you know, the, the, what ensued after the, the vote for, for 180. Okay. So that will bring us to our next point. You kind of covered this a little bit, but how has your experience as a gay Kansan citizen and like just as a policymaker, how has that affected what legislation you support, what legislation you really advocate for and against? Well, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, as a as a legislator who is you know who is gay, you know I've I have to be able to to look at a bigger picture, you know, and not only issues affecting you know being affected or affecting LGBTQ community, but the reality anything that has to do with social services, you know, medical practices, health and any health and human services issues are going to affect the LGBTQ community. And so part of what uh, I like to do is, is, and feel like I need to do, is to always keep so many groups in my mind. You know, mm -hmm. I'm also Mexican-American, and so as a Latina, I'm, you know, I'm also concerned about our uh, Latino uh, community in Kansas. And so, 
you know, I've, there's so many things that I have to be able to speak out for and or against. Um, and so there's a lot of groups, you know, in mm-hmm. my head. And so I, I'm always having to kind of juggle all of that, you know, in my head. But the reality is, I, for me, I feel the, the pressure uh, on my shoulders to, to carry the LGBTQ community. Uh, and when things um, don't go well, knowing what those... Um, those consequences are going to be, um, you know, and I, when I go to, to the well and I speak, uh, against, uh, a bill that I know is going to take people's rights, take away their rights. I, you know, oftentimes it has to do with kids. And, and, and when we talk about kids, we're not talking about necessarily 18 year olds, you know, we're talking about children in kindergarten, little kids. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and how many of them uh, are very, you know, they the, the children are watching. They are watching us and they're listening to us. And you know, it's I hear way too often of kids taking their own lives or at least attempting to take their lives because they don't get the kind of support that they need and or literally their rights to exist are trying to be taken away. And let's talk about one time during the recent session in which you stood up for that. As we talked about a little bit earlier, SB 180, which is at the time everyone was building it as this wide-ranging bathroom ban for transgender students, youth, everything. Um, Some of the language in the bill is that biological males, I think it was a term, um, should be banned from female-specific spaces such as locker rooms, um, bathrooms, things of that nature. And right now we're having a sort of ongoing legal battle with Attorney General Chris Kobach and Governor Kelly over what what in this law will be enforced. It went into effect August 1st. Mm -hmm. So during the discussion for that, I think things got a little bit heated there on the floor. Um, I think you did share, what was it, you're full of shit to someone supporting that? I did not. Um, um, And the uh, Fox 4 News misquoted me, and that was partly why I got so much hate mail. Oh, yeah? It was because of that. I was misquoted. What I said is, and I I stood up and I pointed towards where the majority of the Republicans are sitting. They were laughing Mm -hmm. joyfully. And... Uh, about the fact that, and this was after uh, Governor Kelly, Kelly had vetoed it, and, and this was after it was overturned. And um, again, you know, just just feeling that pressure of kids mm-hmm. on my shoulders, I, I stood up because it, it was, I felt it was disrespectful to those kids mm-hmm. uh, for these legislators, these grown adults, to laugh and 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 be joyful at uh, at the defeat of that bill, um, I stood up and said that you don't give a shit about kids, and I was misquoted, but that is actually what I said: is that I didn't think that they gave a shit about kids, and um, um, it, it was it did it got very heated. I was gaveled over and over. I didn't listen to the gaveling because at that point I I had I I was just so incensed at the fact that they were laughing about a defeat of a bill that can potentially and we're seeing the rem the the consequences of that right now. 
But we're, you know, we, there are kids out there who are just teeter-tottering on, on, on whether they should live or not. Um, and, and, I, and I thought that that was just inhumane, you know, just, it was just, a, 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 it was just horrible that they would do that. Um, and it was after that, it was, you know, a couple hours after that, that um, some Republicans came to me, you know, if I was with them in, on the elevator or I'm walking down the hall or something, they were saying, I'm sorry, I want to apologize for my colleagues that we should not have done that. And, you know, and there's, there's, there's decorum that should be followed, you know, that you don't, you know, you don't celebrate after you defeat, uh, you know, a bad bill, uh, or even if something passes and they're, we're all like, yes, you know, you're, you're, we're not supposed to really show emotion for that. Um, so yeah, I did get, I got many, many legislators came to me and said that they were, they were apologizing for their colleagues, but the people that were actually laughing about it never apologized. And this this new law, that was part of legislation from a national kind of hate group. I think they build it as like, I think we saw pretty much the exact draft of this SB 180, the anti-transgender law, um, as part of the Independent Women's Forum or Independent Women's Voice, which mm-hmm. has mm-hmm. been like a big proponent against things like equal pay, um, a lot of national stuff. Yeah. So I mean. Do other lawmakers, do you think they know that this is from a national group? Has this bill been promoted as something unique to Kansas? Uh, no, not everyone is aware mm-hmm. uh, of that. Um, and, you know, and I don't, um, I think there were there were many of us, at least in the Democratic caucus, that we would bring that up, that, mm-hmm. hey, we found out that this is actually being authored or, or being influenced, you know, by, you know, this group or that group. And so uh, I know that and I and several other of our of my colleagues have, we've pointed that out to our caucus. I don't know if, if other people, even in the Republican Party, mm-hmm. even know that, that how it was influenced, um, you know, by, by outside groups. I, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't, yeah. I'm not for certain. So it's like not a, it's just different in the party, I guess. But no one's for sure acknowledged. Hey, this is not coming from within our state. No, and no, and even if we were to go to the well to, and ask whoever's the carrier of the bill, who actually authored the bill, you know, there's a lot of circling around that, and then you never really get an answer. Um, so uh, there, uh, you have to do digging on your own. We have to do our own research mm-hmm. to find that out. That oh, look. We know this group was in was in the Capitol, and here they were at this committee, and now they're influ- And now all of a sudden, we have a bill that's being influenced, mm-hmm. you know, by them. And that's you know, it's not unusual for groups to come to us. You know, you've got advocacy groups. We all have advocacy groups. We have lobbyists, um, but then you've got groups that really their intent is. It, it seems to me. I don't know if this is for sure, but it just feels like to me that their intent is really to influence policy, and and so for me that makes a difference. You know, when you're an advocacy group and you're a group that's trying to really influence policy, and or helping to write, you know, a bill, and um, so. Um, I think those are some distinctions that we have to make, and it be and it, as a legislator, 
I have to be aware of those kinds of things. Um, and just if I have to be aware about any advocacy group or lobbyist that comes, comes to me and, or that I listen to, I have to have a third ear over here <laughs> saying, you know, you know, what are they really trying to do? Um, and so I, um, I, I make no promises, <laughs> you know, to folks, but, you know, I will listen to what people have to say. But there really is a difference between an advocacy group and one that their goal is to, is to, uh, is to create policy. And it's interesting because a, a lot of these groups are not based in Kansas. They may have an office in Kansas, but they're not based in Kansas. They're coming from Florida, Texas, Virginia. Um, and, um, and it's interesting because when I've looked at their at their websites, they all say they're either nonpartisan or they're bipartisan. And and you, but yet when you read everything, all the issues and then the resources and then their policy papers that they put out, it's not. It's very biased. <laughs> so. And we were talking about SB 180, but there is a bunch of ever, like different laws and legislation that we've looked at this legislative session that have been from outside groups, national groups. Let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, so we have the student-athlete ban that's from, I believe, again, Independent Women's Forum or National Alliance Defending Freedom. Mm -hmm. What else have we seen in terms of laws that you think are significant? Well, um, it, and all of these laws haven't passed, but what I, uh, just being in Health and Human Services uh, Committee, you know, we, there's a lot of bills that come through, um, and our chair, you know, will, has to figure out which, which, which uh, bills or uh, actually get a hearing, you know, in our committee. But there, there was uh, an organization, there was a, an organization called Do No Harm, and there was a, um, a physician by the name of Stanley Goldfarb, who, who's out of based out of Virginia, um, and anybody you can just Google it, do no harm, and you can see this what this group is about. And um, they're interesting group because they think uh, that um, that anything that is DEI um, related or or anything like you know they bring up a lot about critical race theory because it's it's a catchphrase. Um, and it's interesting if you read his definition of critical race theory, it's it's all wrong. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, but his theory is that um, really having um, uh, like if you're uh, medical schools in particular, if you're going to accept medical students, that it should be based on other things and not on you know trying to get a diverse medical student group um, or that they should not even have as part of their curriculum anything to do with um, any differences in ethnicity, cultural groups, you know, when you're looking at when they're, I, when they're in medical school. Um, and, and so they were particularly negative about the University of Kansas, uh, KU. Um, and I you know, the deal is we all have our laptops in front of us, mm -hmm. you know, so it took nothing for me while this physician, so-called physician is talking, I'm looking him up on the website and I'm going, oh, this is interesting. Um, and it really come down to the fact that um, uh, they are very much against gender affirming care. 
And they were targeting the University of Kansas because, you know, they, they have a clinic. And But what they don't do is explain what gender-affirming care really is. People right away, you know, and, and folks like this guy, uh, this do-no-harm group, want people to immediately have a picture of a child being, you know, quote-unquote, you know, worked on, having surgery done on them to change their, their gender. Um, and when, when that's not true, um, and they don't bother to educate anybody what gender-affirming care really is. And for us women who have gone through menopause or have had hysterectomy, you might be put on estrogen or, or uh, progesterone, any hormone, that is gender-affirming care. <laughs> if, if you're a male and you have a, a erectile problem and you're given a medication for that, the so-called blue pill, that's gender-affirming care. You know, so, so to lump everything into that and say it's all negative is wrong. You know, so they don't do any kind of education about it. What they do is that they point to the fact that in their belief, children are having sex changes done when they're five, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so it's, it's, it's all really full of lies. Yeah. So we're seeing that. We're seeing ESG, which is environmental, social, and governance investing. That's been a big thing promoted this past year. Like, yeah. you know, we shouldn't be relying on ESG influences in our government. Mm -hmm. um, there was a law that got through, or a bill that was forbidding anyone, any trustees within the Kansas Public Employee Retirement System from making investment decisions based on ESG principles. So basically, they're saying like we should not be looking at these factors in any sort of investing. I mean, yeah, that's an and example. that caper should mm -hmm. not, you know, because you know our retirement money is there, and right. capers should not be looking at those kinds of investments. Yeah. So this is also part of like a national push to kind of get rid of ESG. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And what else have we seen? I know you were mentioning election law before we started the podcast. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's just all these organizations are all a part of it. The uh, the Opportunity Solutions Project, based out of Florida, uh, they're also very influential mm -hmm. and influential with election laws. You know, they've got they put out policy papers and all of that, and they they go to legislators. Uh, legislatures and, and then try to influence, you know, leadership, you know, and and say here, you know, here's a model bill that you could introduce. So they kind of do all the work for you in yeah. one sense, you know. So yeah, I mean, part of what they're they're about is about welfare reform, election reform, and they were trying to influence us uh, regarding a bill on childcare reform mm -hmm. that that came about towards the end of of the session and um, that. That uh, that did not um, uh, that did not get passed, um, and and with that, there were a lot of legislators uh, on both sides of the aisle who were very much questioning mm -hmm. how the bill was put together. Why did it come in through so quickly? It came into Health and Human Services, you know, on, on our committee, but but the day before it was in Commerce, and then all of a sudden it it popped into our Health and Human Services Committee. And for our readers, this was going to deregulate or just take away some of the regulations on child care centers. Yeah, yes, yeah. and kind of relax some things. And one of the things, there were two things that were concerning. Uh, one was that the the, the, the footprint, you know, the, the footage, mm -hmm. uh, the square footage that each child should have that's in law right now, and they were trying to 
shrink that up. So therefore you can have more kids. In theory, it sounds, oh, well, how bad is that? Well, it's bad because if you don't have fire marshals telling, you know, there's regulations because through fire marshals, you know, and so of course we have state regulations, you know, on daycares. And so there were, there were a lot of things that, that felt like was trying to get passed over and not look at those yeah. safety issues, you know, and it, it is about safety. The other piece that concerned me was the fact that they had lowered the age of volunteers to 14. For people taking care of the kids in the yeah, centers. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that an 18-year-old could actually become director of, of, a, of a daycare center. Well, that's interesting to me, too, because, again, um, with the other things like election law, like abortion, like transgender issues, you kind of get why this would be passed on a national level. But things like this child care bill, I mean, why yeah. would national groups try and get involved with Kansas child care centers? What's the point of that? Well... It's it's trying to deal with, and if you look at, at this, um, the op Opportunity Solutions Project, if you look at their website, you kind of get a sense of where they're going with it. And what they're going with is 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 that it's it should be treated more as a bit like a business mm -hmm. versus an education. So if if your child's going to to daycare, well, they're being taken. Yes, they're being taken care of. Mm -hmm. But it's much more than that. They're being educated. So if you think about the brain of a child, you know, the sweet spot is zero to three mm -hmm. of, you know, your, your brain is about 80% formed by age three. And that's the real spongy brain time, <laughs> right? So there's so many things you can do with that. So it's the, the child care providers are, are educators. They're not... You don't treat, treat it as a business model. You treat it as my child, the most precious thing to me is being educated because that's their little spongy brain can take in all kinds of stuff. Um, and, you know, there, there are daycare centers who purposely try to um, help them learn other languages because that's the time to learn it. You know, I've seen in other states where there's a child that's learning three languages and it's picking it up like nothing, and the child is under age three. <laughs> you know, so that's the time to do it. Um, you don't treat it like a business model. And so, you know, what, what people were, you know, what legislators were looking at is, well, it's just this daycare. It's just, it's like babysitting. Well, no, it's not babysitting. Mm -hmm. It's It's, we have to treat... Our 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 um, our childcare providers as educators and pay them that way. And if you, we really want to have more daycare centers and more slots open for kids, let's pay them a living wage. They're not being paid where they should be paid at all. Um, so you know, there's that issue. But this for age 14, mm -hmm. there are other states who have who are lowering the child labor laws. And they're relaxing them so that, you know, right now, you know, even a 14-year-old or 16-year-old going to um, that is working, they can only go work until, I think, like nine o'clock or something yeah. like that, right? Because they're supposed to be in school, right? Well, if you start relaxing that, so you, you look at one one piece here of they're trying to dismantle the public school system. So if you're not actually going to require kids to go to school under a voucher system, 
then you've got a teenager at home hanging out. So at, at what point does not a parent say, well, why don't you go get a job? Mm-hmm. Right? So then if you relax the employment laws, child labor laws, then now you're allowing 14, 15, 16-year-olds um, to work much longer hours, but you're also relaxing those laws that say that kids cannot work in meat plants, that they cannot uh, operate real heavy, dangerous equipment. Um, so all of that is all together. And uh, again, just doing a little bit of research, I discovered this, that other states are doing the same thing and bringing down those that age. There were enough legislators um, uh, uh, in in our legislature, uh, that and um, I think it was in the Senate who they took that out. This was halted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was good. That was a good thing. So they they didn't do uh, they didn't do that age fourteen thing. So um, but it doesn't mean that's not going to continue. You know. Yeah. And so what fourteen year old in case there's a fire? What fourteen year old's gonna really know what to do and make sure that the cribs are out, you know, that's got infants in cribs and you get them out. A fourteen year old's gonna be like, I'm gonna I'm yeah. I'm scared, I'm gonna run. <laughs> you know. And then, you know, so they don't have so it would have a lot of consequences. Oh, my yeah. God. We're running Terrible out of time, though, so I'm just yeah. going to ask you in general, um, sure. is this year been worse in terms of national policy finding its way in, or has this year been more of an influx than other years in terms of it, this? It, this session, it felt like there was more. Mm. And, uh, and and I don't know if it was because I'm much more aware of it now, um, or, or it is more, but it felt to me like it was much more, much more outside influences. Gotcha. Yeah, so I guess um, to all of our viewers and listeners out there, make sure to do your research and Google everything. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here with us. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks.